Hey there, educational rock stars. Are you feeling overwhelmed with lesson planning for your English language learners? Well, I've got some exciting news for you. Introducing our upcoming free webinar, Simplify Your Approach, Three Time-Saving Routines for ELL Success. Join me for a power-packed 45 minutes that's set to revolutionize your teaching strategy. In this webinar, we'll dive into three practical, easy-to-implement routines that will not only enhance your ELL teaching methods, but also save you hours of planning time. Yes, hours. So whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, these insights are tailored to help everyone make the most of their teaching time. Plus, you'll leave this webinar ready to implement these routines the next day. So mark your calendars for our two upcoming dates. I don't want you to miss this opportunity to transform your ELL lesson planning. To reserve your spot, simply sign up at www.equippingells.com slash routines. Trust me, your future self will thank you for it. I'll see you at the webinar. Teaching ELL students is a privilege and a joy. Is it easy? No way. But with the right support, you can feel empowered to tackle each day with ease and confidence. I'm your host, Beth Boucher, founder of Inspiring Young Learners. With over 10 years of teaching both nationally and internationally, I know what it takes to ensure that your ELL students have what they need to thrive today, tomorrow, and for life. I'm on a mission to empower you to equip your English language learners. Welcome to Equipping ELLs. Let's get to today's episode. Hey there, and welcome to another episode of the Equipping ELLs podcast. I just want to take a minute and thank you for joining and listening to these episodes. I love hearing how helpful they are or how you've been binging them. Whatever it is, I know that there are a lot of different ways you can spend your time and a lot of different podcasts or books or information that you can listen to. So from the bottom of my heart, thanks for joining me and listening to these different episodes. All right, we are going to be talking today about what to do when you have a big caseload. And this episode is coming because recently there's just been a few different conversations happening inside the Equipping ELLs membership community where we've been talking to teachers who are currently facing huge amounts of students on their caseload. And just walking through what does this look like practically? What can these teachers do to try to even figure out where to begin because having an amount over, I think in my opinion, over 60 students on your caseload is just a lot on one teacher. So this really all stemmed because inside of our community group that I was sharing, we had one teacher who was up to 150 students on her caseload this year. And why they don't hire at least multi, you know, two, three, four more teachers to help, we don't know. We don't know why some states make these decisions and why they don't see that one person cannot do this. But we wanted to help this teacher and really help her to figure out where to begin. So that's what this episode's all about. If you are facing, even if you have, you know, 30 students on your caseload, it might feel a lot to you and it might feel really overwhelming of figuring out where to begin. So this can be used with whatever size your caseload is, but I'm really speaking to those who just have a huge amount and 
you know, they might, your administrator might be saying, oh, we're going to try to hire someone or we'll give you a, you know, a paraprofessional or maybe they just don't say anything and they say, well, this is your job. You got to do it. So we're here to talk to you about that today and help you have the right mindset, the right attitude and the first steps to take to move forward so that that number doesn't burn you out this year. So let's talk about first our mindset, because I think as teachers, a lot of us go into teaching because we do feel this, you know, this desire to help all of our students. We want to help every single one that we have that year just reach new heights and excel and succeed and all of these things. And recently I was listening to a book, an audiobook, just talking about that goal setting idea and talking about how so often we just immediately set these really optimistic goals. He was sharing how how often, you know, someone's like, I'm going to run a marathon. And then he'll ask them, have you ever done a half marathon? Well, no. Have you ever done a 5k? No. So why would you assume you can run a marathon right away? And so it's kind of the same with teaching. We, whatever we're given, we kind of face it like, okay, we can do this. I can do this. I can support 150 students and I can, and do it all. We'll have balance with my life and train the teachers and do the paperwork and plan the lessons. And I can do all these things. And so we go into the school year super optimistic and set these big goals. And we soon realize that that's just not going to happen. We we don't physically have the capability to do that because one person shouldn't be supporting all those students. So then we start to just get burned out and we start to, you know, really get exhausted at night and we lose time on the weekend. We lose time with our families because we feel like we have to keep it up. We have to keep planning. There's more that we can do to help support this amount of students that I have on my caseload. So I want us to clearly approach this this year of whatever your caseload is or whatever your situation is, because if it's not a big caseload, maybe it's you're traveling to four or five different schools, or maybe you have, you know, 18 different groups you're planning for. I don't know what it is, but I know as ESL teachers, there's a lot that is put on you to do. And it's not always the fair and the right way and what's best for you to help you really do what's best for the students. And it's not what's best for the students. And that's that's in all of education. There's just, you know, with budgets and, and lack of, there's, I know there's a teacher shortage happening right now. So there's a lot that's happening. But I think it's important that we approach the school year and whatever your situation looks like and just take an honest look at that. If you are working with 75 students, 100 students plus, you can't do it all and that's okay. And you need to keep telling yourself that. I can't do it all. I cannot burn myself out trying to kill myself to support this many students. And and we're going to talk about what that looks like because it doesn't mean that you don't, that you just say, you just give up and say, well, I can't do it, so I'm not going to. No, that's not, e- that's not it either because the students are, that's who matters. So how can we show up best for our students? But I think giving yourself that space to look at the situation in front of you and say, you know what, this this is not fair. This is not okay. I'm going to do my best of what I can, but I'm not going to get burnt out over this. That's really what we like to do inside the Equipping Yellows community is just really give you these pep talks and give you this mindset and give you the encouragement. Have balance. Keep that. Keep doing those things that really fill you up and fuel you after school and on the weekends because it doesn't matter how many hours you work. You're never going to be able to successfully support 150 students every week throughout the whole year. So, 
approach it first with just facing reality and with that mindset. Go also, even if you're a new teacher, go advocate for yourself. Go and see if they can give you a paraprofessional or if they can hire someone part-time or, you know, whatever it is, just see, start to ask around, start to look at your state laws and, and look and bring those things up and say, you know what, if my state says that it should be one teacher for every 45 students. So this is a law by the state. And this is the service that our students are by law required to get. I shouldn't be doing having this many students. Look at the law, start to advocate, even if you're a new teacher. You also need to show up and do what you need to do until, you know, hopefully they they make those good choices and bring on more support for you. So what you need to do is first, you need to have patience with yourself. Like I said, you cannot just, especially if you're a new teacher, you're not going to start and and start running that marathon right away. We got to start small. We're going to start with that 5K training and we're going to make a doable goal. And so have patience with yourself. This school year, especially if you're coming from being a homeroom teacher, the start of the school year is very different for ESL teachers. And I think that's something that I wasn't aware of, of just how different it is to not have your own classroom where you start your routines, you start right away on the first day with ESL teachers, you know, it's very different. So you might be testing for a while, you might be, you know, grouping the students or figuring out the schedule for a while. So it takes a little bit of time to get into that the first couple weeks of school. So have clear expectations for yourself, have patience with yourself. And then the other big tip is to over-communicate with the the teachers that you're working with. I know that when I was a homeroom teacher, a lot of times I just didn't get clear communication from a lot of our specialist teachers. And so, you know, naturally I would just have assumptions, whether they were right or wrong, that while these the, you know, the social work hasn't come in and pulled the student, even though they said they were going to. And I'm kind of just a little upset with the social worker of why they didn't come when they said they were. And so, you know, a situation happened or whatever it was. And later I figured out and, and had a conversation about why they didn't come and service them like they were supposed to. But I think the big takeaway there was people will assume things unless you clearly communicate. And so, from the start of the year, communicate and say, you know what? I have a really large caseload. I'm feeling overwhelmed with where to begin. I am going to support your students, but here's how I'm going to do that. So you need to have some patience with me until I'm able to get to these students. Any teacher is going to see that caseload. Any teacher is going to say, you know, I get it. I understand. Like, let's keep this conversation going and let me know how I can help. And that's where it needs to be a mutual relationship there where homeroom teachers are also saying, yes, I need to do my part to help support these students. You as one person cannot take on 150 students. And so many of those students will need to be supported by the homeroom teacher. So over communicate, just make it really clear at the beginning of the year. Here's what I'm planning to do. This is what I think is best for really setting up these, these routines with the students, getting them grouped well so that the rest of the school year can be successful. And so I would recommend creating a delayed start to services. All right. And so what that means is looking at your students. By this point, you've probably assessed them or you have their access scores from last year. So you have an idea of what level they're at. So what you want to do is look at that list of students. You want to make sure they're all in one list, whether it's an Excel or if you are someone that doesn't really like to use Excel. To me, I don't know why, but Excel is like so difficult to use. It's just so confusing. 
But I found something online called Airtable, which is like Excel, but it's much easier to use and it's prettier too. So if you're someone like that, check out Airtable.com, but create a centralized location where you will have all of the information about your students in one sheet. Okay. And this is something that the teachers can look at just one centralized location. Then what you want to do is you want to sort your students by language level, and you want to identify your newcomers and your beginner students first, because they will need the most support from you. Understandably so. So those are the students you're going to start with. So this is what a delayed service schedule would look like. You will then begin to, you know, group those students and it depends on your school. If you group by grade level, hopefully with newcomers, you can, you can pull a few different grade levels together so that you don't have to try to fit in every grade level. A newcomer in first, second, or third grade could all be in the same group. And then maybe if you have an older newcomer group, fourth, fifth, and sixth grade, or whatever that looks like, but see if you can find a time to pull those students first and, and start to schedule them in your schedule that works with them. I also recommend color coding those students. So you want to have your students color coded so you can quickly and easily see, okay, you know, yellow is my newcomer group. Green is my level two group. Or if you do it by grade level, then color code by grade level. But getting a system now will help you to be able to see and check in with your students. And it will help you be able to meet the needs of your large caseload. So starting with that newcomer beginner group, that is who you're going to start to meet with. And this is where that delayed service start comes in. Communicate with your teachers and say, you know what? I know you have level threes and four intermediates in your classroom. I am not going to be meeting with them yet. I'm going to be starting with the newcomers because I'm going to give them the support they need so that they can start to pick up survival words and phrases so that they can get what they need because you're not going to be teaching a lot of that in the classroom. So they need that support from me outside of the classroom. Or if you push in, you can do that in the classroom. But the big point is making it clear to that you're going to start with that group for maybe a week or two, get those groups up and running, set up those routines with them. I have tons of things on setting up newcomer lessons. We have tons of materials inside equipping LLs or in the TPT store that are already set up with routines. So start to just set up those routines with that those newcomer groups. I would say if you can, do that for two weeks without meeting with any other groups. And I know what that feels like of, but we're already a month into school. How do I, you know, delay starting with these other students? The reason that I am recommending this, especially with your big caseloads, is because if you do that, if you spend the time it takes to really refine those groups, really refine your routines, the students know what to expect. They start, they're working and they're running with that one focus. Now you can add in the next group and do the same thing for them with what your focus is for them. And then you add in the next groups. If you try to do them all at once, you will get burnt out so quickly because you're going to be doing, you know, moving from newcomers to intermediates, to planning for this lesson, to pulling this, to pushing in, to co-teaching, to modeling lessons, and you're going to get burnt out so quickly. But if you do a delayed start and you really focus, I'm not saying pull one group at a time. I'm saying pull the groups that are similar. So those newcomers and beginners, maybe you have three different groups of them, pull them all the same time during that week 
at their scheduled time and set up their routines. Get those things going. All you need is a week or two until you students really will start to pick up what is expected of them, what to do. Then when they that newcomer group is doing okay and you have those routines set up, you have those lesson plans going, now you know how to plan for those. Now you add in that next group, whether it's by grade level or by language level. And if it's not pull out for those next groups, maybe it's push in. So now maybe you just focus on one grade level. You start to meet with that team. You start to see what time or how you can come in and best support. And you start to have those conversations and you focus on that grade level or that language level next. You have it color coded. You have your all of it in one place. They can go and have those names of those students that you're going to be working with. You have their background language. You have their WIDA access scores or whatever it is you're looking at for to guide you. And so then bring it next the next thing on. So I would say if you can pull your groups by newcomers and beginners, and then maybe if you can hit on the grade level and just start to add in one grade level each week get the routine set up, get your schedule figured out because the scheduling part is also a huge problem. That's going to be a lot of work. So if you slowly begin to add in those times, then you can see where it best fits for the grade level team and for you. So you're not having to rework it constantly for the first month of school. So you're going to continue to do that until you're at your top level group. So maybe these are your students who are about ready to exit And then you're going to make a plan for those students. So that might look really different than your other groups. For those students, because if you have a very large caseload, you're not going to have a lot of time to spend with those students. So maybe it's going to be a once a month check-in and goal-setting plan with them. That's something where it's good to talk with the homeroom teacher and see what's your expectation of how you want me to support these students and what can you do in the class that's going to support them. Okay, because those students really are not going to have that much capacity to be able to meet with them very often. So create a plan of what you'll do with those that are almost ready to exit. What, you know, having those clear goals, maybe you check in at the beginning of the month and you check in at the end of the month and maybe provide some materials for the homeroom teacher that they can do in the class to help, you know, really finalize those areas that they need extra support in. So that's what a delayed start to services would look like. And I think that it can really help you to get things running without that huge overwhelm of every day trying to find ways to meet with all these students, support all these students, plan all these lessons, and quickly get burnt out. Let's talk about what to do when you have big class sizes, because we just had this conversation as well with another teacher that is inside the Equipping Ills community. And she was saying, you know what? I My pullout groups are about 16 now. This isn't a small group pullout anymore. This is almost a class size and they're mixed language levels. So what should I do with these kids? And I thought that was a great question. So let's talk about that. So what I recommend is when you're working with mixed groups like that, or just a, a large group of students who are not, you know, all at the same language level, then I think it's best to approach it using the differentiation framework, okay? And this differentiation framework is by Carol Ann Tomlinson, who is a guru in the educational space, especially when it comes to differentiation and language learners. The differentiation framework has four parts. It has environment, content, process, and product. And a lot of times I think people kind of put environment at the end, and that's kind of like, oh yeah, environment that you could differentiate environment. But what I really found is when you're working with language learners, looking at environment as your first area and and using that to then decide how you're going to differentiate the other pieces. 
So environment means like who is learning in this space. So if you're working with a mixed group of the same grade level, then you should look at using content to drive your lessons and, and differentiate that depending on who's in your group. If you're looking at all the same language level, then, you know, you could differentiate content process or product. It depends what you're looking at and what you're trying to get accomplished with that lesson. So it depends on space, you know, how much space do you have to work with these students or it depends if you're pushing in. So just kind of taking a glance at what your situation looks like and then deciding, should I differentiate content? So am I taking the content topic of the grade level and now I am going to find activities that scaffold it for the different language levels in my group? If that seems overwhelming to you, start as simple as blooms and just go up the scale on that depending on language level. Because that can align pretty easily with what a, you know, a newcomer should be able to do and going forward. But that is really great for grade level groups. The process, what does the process mean when it comes to the differentiation framework? That means how are the students learning it? And so this, you can look at the different scaffolds you're putting in place. So even if you're working with the same language group, looking at different ways that you might want to group the students or adding in visual support or adding in, you know, sentence stems, word banks, translation, doing translanguaging, all those types of things. So this is your lessons. You're going to set them up and add in those different pieces of support depending on the language level that your students are. And then the product is how are they going to show you what they've learned? And with this one, you know, when you're, even when you're working with a big group of kids, this is a great way to, to have clarity around what you're assessing. And so what I recommend is to define, are you going to be assessing listening and reading or speaking and writing? And then you can create an activity based off of that, depending on language level. So let's take a look at this practically. If you're working with 16 second graders, but they are mixed groups. So you've done different activities, you've scaffolded them, maybe you did like a picture prompt and then you had the newcomers, they talked with themselves and tried to repeat some of the vocabulary in the picture, or maybe you paired different language levels together to have, you know, the higher language level say the words and then the newcomer repeated them. And then maybe you went into a a reading passage where your higher language level students, they read it independently and worked independently. And your newcomers just listened to the passage, read slowly multiple times, and they looked at pictures and they sequenced the pictures to show the sequence of the story. And now, you know, maybe your product is going to be, you're going to have them assess them in a different way. Maybe your higher level kids are going to write a sentence about that story they just read and you're gonna assess it with a a writing rubric. And then maybe your newcomers are going to speak a sentence and they're gonna say if they, maybe you're gonna give them a sentence stem and they're gonna see if they can finish the sentence orally to you or to a partner. And so as you go, you can see how you can take the same passage and scaffold it up and down or the same read aloud and scaffold it in different ways or the same, you know, whatever it is, and then just, you're going to become an expert at scaffolding for those different groups. Now, something that I know works well with big groups like that, especially if they're mixed language levels, is to do centers. And I think there is a great time and place for centers. I love doing centers, but I'm going to give you a warning. I wouldn't start the year with those unless you're really an expert in setting up centers and running them 
because it can be a lot of extra work to prep for those to, you know, just really get the dynamics down in the classroom of what that looks like, especially with discipline and just making sure it runs really smoothly and that they're using that time really well. So that's something that as you go throughout the year, that might be something you can slowly add in doing more separated group work inside your lesson, but don't put that on yourself at the beginning of the year to try to get that set up right away and running unless you are an expert in running centers and that's something you love to do. So we talked about a lot today, but I really hope that you come away remembering that what you're being asked to do is not possible. Okay. Even the most experienced ESL educators cannot successfully provide support for all those students well. So do what you can. Do what's best for your students. Keep building relationships. Create a safe space for them. Help encourage homeroom teachers to meet the needs of their ELL students. Give them ideas if you have time or, you know, just communicate with them and be honest. We, you don't need to pretend like you can do it all. And it's okay to say, you know what, this is overwhelming, but this is where I'm going to begin. Here's the plan I have. And so how can we work together to support these students and have this be a successful year for all 100 of those students or 150 of those students or whatever that looks like. No, just showing up and doing your best and smiling and creating those safe spaces for them. It will go a long way. So keep doing those things. And, and then as you get these routines set up as your group set up and slowly just come into that, you can do your best for those students. So I wish you a super successful year. If you need any support, any help, if you want to come join us We can help you problem solve, troubleshoot, figure out how to make it work to support 150 students. That's what we're all about here in Equipping LL. So come join us inside the membership if that's something you're looking for. Remember, you're doing an awesome job and we're here to support you however we can. Thank you for joining me in today's episode. All links and resources mentioned can be found in the show notes. If you're looking for even more support and done-for-you resources created specifically for the needs of ELLs, head to inspiringyounglearners.com. I'll catch you here next week. Until then, take that next step to keep equipping your ELLs.